G'day everyone, I'm Kit Harvey. Welcome to the first edition of Our Conversations for 2022, produced and presented by the team at R Sport. Gee, it's good to be back. We're geared up for a massive year with some great guests in the works. This episode is no different. It was a pleasure to chat with Dr. Dom Kondo, performance nutritionist at Richmond Football Club for both AFL and AFLW programs. But that's only the beginning. From academic research pursuits at Deakin University to her highly individualized approach to ensuring athletes get the best out of their bodies, Dr. Dom has a seriously packed schedule, but she wouldn't have it any other way. Having previously worked with Geelong Football Club, I couldn't help but ask her about her dealings with the likes of Gary Ablett Jr. and Mark Blitzarves. What athletes? Coming into the conversation with only Year 10 food tech under my belt, I was able to learn a lot from Dr. Dom in a very short space of time. So grab a protein shake, sit back and enjoy. Dr. Dom Kondo, performance dietitian, currently at Richmond Football Club. Yep. You've worked at Geelong Football Club. You're working yep. with the, the Melbourne Boomers in the WNBL. Yep. That's a, it's a pretty big CV, just rattling even those three items off. Yeah. It sounds good when you say it like that, doesn't it? <laughs> How do you fit all of this stuff into your life? Um, yeah, it, a lot of juggling. I think a lot of time management um, over the years because I, I guess my... Obviously, I have my service roles, which is everything you've just mentioned. Um, a, a big part of my life that takes up a lot of time is my Deakin University role because that's research and that just can blow out at any point in time. So I think, you know, when teaching and research and footy is all happening at the same time, it can get pretty hectic. Not enough days in the week. Not enough days in the week, not enough hours in the day. Um, probably a little bit of uh, sleep deprivation occasionally, but overall we just try and, you know, prioritise what needs to get done. I've learnt to be okay with things not being perfect and to be okay with things not getting done if they're not a priority. <laughs> Even chatting to you for 30 seconds, it's really obvious to tell you've got a lot of passion for the, what you do. Yeah. Is yeah. there a particular element that you enjoy the most or is it sort of something where you, you're more than happy to dip in and out of different parts of nutrition and sports performance? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I love sports in general. So I grew up with footy. Um, from when I was young, from Adelaide, so Port Supporter all the way. Um, so grew up with this. I've always been passionate about footy, um, but I just love the team sport environment. So I'm really passionate about that. But I obviously like my content that I, you know, knowledge that I've decided to, to I guess, um, become an expert in for a better word, nutrition, sports nutrition, is it is just such a passion of mine. And, and more so like the performance piece, definitely, because all athletes want to perform and that's what I'm there to help them do but also the health part of it as well. So actually making sure that we think about and prioritize athlete health and well-being and how nutrition can play such an important part in that. So that's my passion. I mean, even just looking at your website for five minutes, you've got a PhD, you've got a really sound, obviously scientific base for what you do and the information that you offer players. Yep. I imagine that's a space that's constantly changing. There's a lot of opinions and weird misinformation that floats around in the health diet nutrition space. Yeah. Can that be hard at times to navigate like the latest weird fad diet or like what Pete Evans has said? Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> keto, vegan, gluten-free. Like is there, where does that all meet for you? There's obviously a level of accepted science. Yeah. 
Yep. Is that your base? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, there's so much out there. And and the thing is with nutrition, different to like strength and conditioning or whatnot, where, you know, I guess you're prescribed it from um, strength and conditioning coach or high performance manager or whatever it might be. Everybody eats, right? So everybody has an opinion about nutrition and what you should eat to perform better, to feel better. Not everybody really feels comfortable with prescribing the best strength program program right but everyone feels like they can say oh try this or try that and and it is it's interesting over the years it it used to really irritate me because I was like you know I've studied for so many years and then people are listening to people that have got no qualification behind them but I've just learned to again just accept it and and almost use it to my advantage um you know actually explain why that fad diet may not be the most appropriate what the science is saying and um but then also being like well if an athlete wants to try that for whatever reason it is, let's think about how we can incorporate some of these new things that maybe don't have the evidence behind them, but maybe they're not harmful. Maybe we need to throw it in here and there to just to make them feel as though you've heard them. Um, But the important thing is that it doesn't compromise health, well-being or performance. For sure. For sure. That makes a lot of sense. When I first read Performance Dietitian, Richmond Football Club, uh, and also finding out about your history at the Geelong Football Club, Mm. I just thought to myself, Gary Ablett, Patrick Dangerfield, (laughs) Tom Stewart, Mark Blitzavs, now Dusty Martin, all these players, people I look up to on a personal level, superstars of the game mega stars how well do you get to know these players both from the afl and the aflw on a personal level what's that like is there a lot of one-on-one dealings yeah absolutely absolutely you really get to know them i mean obviously i'm really new at richmond so finding my fee and meeting people and and the players and and whatnot which i'm really enjoying they are an amazing group um from what i've experienced so far but at the cast oh they were like my family like all the the players that you've just mentioned um you get to know them on a real personal level um you know i was there for for seven years and we went on a couple of hubs all together over covid period so you're living with them so you have no choice but to get to know them um but what i love about these superstars and they are unbelievable at their craft um is that most of them and all of them that i've met are so humble like they really are just young blokes that just can play footy really well and are just really good guys so i've really enjoyed getting to know them and obviously the aflw players are unbelievable so i'm so in awe of what they've done over the last few years and and what they've created as a league it's pretty amazing so yeah it's pretty awesome to be part of i can imagine and i mean just from a personal perspective i'm so jealous it it (laughs) seems like to me the the most exciting thing it probably becomes super every day for you that you get to deal with these guys and these girls on an individual level um i'm curious as to what your job actually looks like from a performance nutrition uh, perspective day to day yep do you look at individual players and speak to them about their individual likes, dislikes, needs, dietary requirements on an individual level or is there an element of one size fits all at all? Yeah, it's a great question. Definitely individual level all the way. So the more that we can get on individual plans and speak to one-on-one, we do. And, you know, I'll try and, and get to everybody. The reality is some really buy into it and others are 
lovely about it, but they probably maybe don't need or that one or like that real detail in a say meal plan or or whatever. Um, and so you find that you work, you know, really closely with with a good bunch of them and others. It might just be more that general education, general knowledge. There's definitely not a one size fits all. So never in my career have I sent out like a standard meal plan and just been like follow this. Even for the private patient clients I see, it's never one size fits all because you have to understand how somebody eats, how they like to eat, what their goals are. So obviously, you know, there, there's um, principles that we that we go by um, when it comes to sports nutrition, but it, you have to apply it to the individual. So um, yeah, the you know, I see a lot of them one-on-one for individualized meal plans. That's definitely the way we go about it. But group education is big. Obviously, um, the supplement programs, um, which are, you know, very important to have a, a qualified expert managing supplements in 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 AFL in particular considering the history <laughs> there's been some very notable moments in recent yeah, history where been. things haven't quite gone <laughs> to plan absolutely um and and I guess some clubs or individuals may be quite um you know scared for a better word or or, or move away from supplementation but I think if you if you use it in the right way you use safe supplements um they can be really beneficial so part of my job is to obviously make sure that players are on safe supplements but also to roll out a supplement program based around their needs as well um, and then a, another big part of it is the actual food provision side of things so you know they're doing at the moment oh it's brutal like their training loads are so intense it's pre-season hey? oh absolutely. yeah and the amount of running that they're doing and in this weather it's actually been quite warm for Melbourne which is lovely but they have to train in it and it's um can be pretty brutal so you know part of my job is to make sure that they have good food and appropriate hydration available to them now I'm not preparing that we've got a great chef at the club and I had a great chef at Geelong as well um, that obviously helped to to provide that food but under my sort of direction as to what we're providing and when um, and and a part of um, you know my job is to put it in front of them when they need it um, and if it's in front of uh, athletes they're going to eat it especially the boys or eat anything that's in front of them <laughs> It's on the table and then suddenly it's gone. Exactly right. Exactly right. They'll gobble up. So, yeah. So is this uh, food that's getting provided to players at training on game day? Uh, do they get to take home frozen meals? Is it like What does it actually look like from a physical perspective? Or is it like, oh, cook this recipe? It's um it's on training and game days. We, we provide food um, and that's more like we've got, you know, snack uh, bars available and, and snack items available and then lunches is provided to them. Um, you know, if there's leftovers, they can take it home for, for dinners and whatnot. Um, but we don't provide like meals that they then can take home as far as, you know, uh, frozen meals and whatnot. Uh, but there's obviously a lot of food left over all the time so they can take it home so there's always the guys and the girls that'll jump on absolutely any opportunity to not have to cook at home yeah kind of yeah yep. i'm interested you can give information you can empower players to make positive food decisions uh away from the club you can largely control what they're doing within the four walls in terms yeah. of what they're provided with on game day at training before and after training but there's only so much you can do, right? There's a little bit of onus and a bit of trust at play on the individual to kind of do the right thing when yeah. they're not next to you. Absolutely. How does that kind of work, generally speaking? Yeah. And, you know, you'd like to think that as an elite 
athlete, most um, athletes want to do the best for themselves all the time. Um, and, and most do, but, you know, you have to remember there's so much going on in people's lives, um, especially over the last couple of years where food, if we think that food is just about nutrition, then we're, we're very naive. Like it's so much more than that. There's social elements, there's comfort, there's a whole lot of emotion behind what we eat. And so we educate as best we can. We give, you know, meal plans, recipes, ideas. Um, and, and yeah, as I said, most of them do, you know, really absorb it and do the right things. Other ones find it difficult. And, and so, you know, we just have to be there to support them more, whether it's, you know, going shopping with them. I do cooking classes, you know, you know, we do work with great companies in in Melbourne that deliver amazing food, um, like meals to, to people, and um, you know specifically for active people. So they might use those a, as an option. But you know you're always going to get ones that struggle. And and the reality is, unfortunately, um, you know when someone isn't quite following what they should be. Is it immediately obvious? <laughs> Some some will get away with it. I mean, some are genetic. Some people genetically blessed, where you know they can eat whatever they want, and it doesn't show as far as body comp wise. And when you're younger, when you're 18 and have a fast metabolism, I mean, you can probably get away with it. But you will find that they get to a point in their career where it does catch up. Now, whether that be body comp wise or whether that just be more of a a performance health, you know, injury risk, um, you find the ones, and that we see this in on the international scale about athletes that talk about how they look after their bodies are the ones that tend to be older in their sport and still going pretty strong you know Tom Brady Ronaldo etc so um you know I think it, it definitely catches up to them but I find once they hit the late 20s um the body comp changes if they're not sort of even on top of it <laughs> and they're immediately found out that's yeah. uh, anthony is pointing to himself he's like i've had trouble since i turned 26 he reckons <laughs> whereas i have been very very lucky with my metabolism <laughs> from my whole life and i mean famous last words i hope i don't see it changing anytime soon <laughs> you are lucky yeah good genes <laughs> it's on a semi-related note and it's i guess a slightly more serious note as well I'm interested to know there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of relationships different people have with food. Mm. We've obviously touched on pleasure, function, um, performance side of things. Yeah. How do you talk about food with the players or even more generally with your students at Deakin University mm. or with people in your life? Do you avoid terms like good foods, bad foods? How do you approach that because there's a lot that can go on if somebody develops a negative relationship with food. Yeah, absolutely. And I think athletes have such a pressure on them to have certain body compositions as well that for some it isn't easy and then they can actually develop these you know, negative relationships with food that can lead to disordered eating and eating disorders. And I've worked with so many athletes in this space. So, you know, I do try and avoid those sort of terms. You talk more about why you need certain foods at certain times. And, and if someone really does need to change change their body composition for their performance and we can't I guess hide behind the fact that they are athletes who you know most of the time we know perform best at a certain body composition now they're you know it's a u-shaped curve you don't want to be you know overly um skinny or, or lose too much weight either because they're going to affect the performance negatively but then obviously carrying too much body fat for their sport can also have a negative impact so you know we have to find what the 
optimum is. And that's going to be different for so many athletes. Um, but, you know, what we want to, if, if someone does need to change their body composition, we really want to work with them in a, in a positive way to talk more about the function of, of food and nutrients, why you need it at certain times, and where some of that comfort food fits in a week. Because it has to. I think if not, it's not sustainable and, and you can then develop these negative relationships. So, you know, it really is about um, understanding what that sort of week looks like around training and really that education with athletes. Also education with coaches and support staff, really important around the language used. Um, you know, uh, I guess traditionally, especially in male sports, it's, it's quite common to use words like fat and, and write to um, athletes' faces. And we think, oh, just because they're men, it doesn't affect them. But the reality is it does. And so it's really about educating around appropriate language. Um, and if someone, again, does have to lose some body fat, that's okay. They're an athlete. We need to get them there. But it's about supporting them um, and doing it in a way that's not going to compromise their health. That makes a lot of sense. And mm. thanks for such a, a generous and well thought out answer. I'm sure it's something you think about quite a lot. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I guess, you know, don't want to stereotype, but you do see it more in female athletes. Like we know that. Um, definitely exists in male athletes and we're learning more about it. But uh, I work with a lot of females in, in this space. So, you know, it really is about just dealing case by case. Um, and, you know, as as support staff, uh, we, we can't do any harm with athletes. Like, of course, we want them to perform, but, you know, they, they're their, their sports career is short-lived their lives are hopefully long and so we have to make sure we're looking after their health for the long term it sounds to me like you just come from a base of compassion and kindness and you can't really go too wrong yep that's that's that is my my motto sometimes it's quite exhausting but <laughs> but it is my motto just to be empathetic compassionate yeah compassion kindness and an expert level of knowledge via a phd yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sounds pretty good, yeah. <laughs> They're all good things. Uh, I want to touch on how this all started for you. Yeah. Is performance, nutrition, the health side of things, diet, is that something you've always been interested in ever since you were a kid or did you just do, kind of it fell from the sky one day and you thought maybe this is for me? Yeah, it's interesting. So I never thought it really was. It never crossed my mind that much. All through high school, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. So I was um, gearing up to, to do law and did my um, work experience in law firms and all that sort of jazz. And then I got to year 12 and, and there was a bit of a stuff up with my subjects and the um, coordinator said that I had to choose between two subjects, either tourism or nutrition because of the way my subject sort of felt. And I thought, well, that's weird. I haven't done either of them and I don't really know which one I want to do, but I loved science. So I was doing biology and chemistry or whatnot. Um, and she said, well, nutrition is science. It's nutritional science. So, you know, you might be good at it. You might enjoy it. I thought, okay, I'll do it. Um, and I loved it. Like absolutely fell in love. I just, I got like top grades and just thought, I just love this. Just and took it straight away. Yeah. Yep. And then I decided to change my mind. And I remember going home and being like to my parents, oh, I want to do nutrition instead of law. And they were like, my dad was like, really? <laughs> about law again um no but i think it was just this thing like lawyers are like i don't know back when i went to school you know you're a lawyer or you're a doctor or something like that um but i felt uh yeah i developed a real passion for it then always loved sport but the nutrition piece probably came at, at that point 
point in time. Um, back when I did year 12 to get into dietetics so we have to remember a nutritionist and a dietitian is different as well so um you know you want to get into dietetics so you can actually practice a nutritionist does more general sort of information rather than one-on-one um etc um it was like a we call it tr in adelaide it was um like 98 you had to get to get into dietetics it was like they only took 40 students on a year really really hard to get into across the country so I just missed out um, on that and so I went the back way and did biomedical science and did undergrad for three years in that and funny you speak about uh, and um, like the disordered eating piece because unfortunately through that time I really turned I guess a negative relationship with food myself um, and around body image I mean I was 18 and it tends to happen uh, a lot with with young girls but um, yeah unfortunately I had uh, someone to say a, a pretty horrible comment to me about my body and then just went sort of downhill from there so I think over that time um I probably lost about 25 kilos and I mean I'm not a massive person so it was like around 25 kilos less than what I am now so it was huge I was pretty sick so I was diagnosed with anorexia at the time and and it lasted a good um oh god I mean yeah good couple of years well the actual severity of being that underweight the disease then lasted a long time after that but I guess I was then told by the experts that I was seeing um, that I would not be able to do get into dietetics or do nutrition because you know of the way that I looked and it wouldn't be um, seen as um, what's the right word like it wouldn't be favorable no one no one would want me to to see me as a dietitian when I looked like that so this was coming from you know my psychiatrist and it's like oh all the teen that you have to see when you're not well um it's just they're interesting comments to make to somebody with an eating disorder yeah. who has obviously a passion for nutrition it's sort of maybe not the is was it a good way to get things done or um, maybe not it I guess it hit me in a sense well, well at the time I just thought well I'll show them so um yes. and you know and and it surprises me now. Like I look back and I think, wow, I was so unwell and I still managed to, I was just going to, this is actually going to sound like I'm real up myself. I'm not, but I managed to get, get, um, you know, straight HDs all throughout biomedical science. Um, and just, you know, absolutely, yeah, absolutely killed my undergrad, even though at the time I was so, I was, you know, having panic attacks left, right and center and the anxiety was through the roof. So I wasn't in a good spot. You just Um, bashed the door down with great grades. Um, Yeah. Yeah, you can't not let me in. Exactly, and and I mean, by the time my undergrad finished and I and I applied for my masters of dietetics, I wasn't as ill as what I was. So I was out of the scary zone. Obviously, mentally, still dealing with a lot of the thoughts and whatnot, but I was out of that zone. And and to be honest, my dietetics degree really helped because I learnt about why you know just the importance of nutrition and, and why we need it to survive um rather than um you know thinking that i'm fat and that food is just horrible it's actually uh re-established my relationship with food through that period so i guess from that point i developed a new passion in a sense um uh, where uh, once i sort of started to get better and i met an amazing dietitian at the time that helped me that that became a bit of a new passion for me where i 
wanted to be able to help people in similar situations. And, and I guess now in my private work, um, majority of my work is in, you know, athletes, still athletes, um, or but with, with eating disorders or disordered eating and, and do a fair bit of work in that space. And you can come from a place where you can speak from personal experience. And I bet for them, if they're struggling, that's invaluable. Yeah. I, I didn't realize how invaluable it was until, um, you know, you, you talk to them and, and say, look, I understand what you're going through. Um, yeah. And, and it's not easy. And, you know, understanding is not an answer either. Like sometimes I have to remember that, you know, we're here to help them. And, and sometimes you do have to be not the bad person, but, but you do have to be a bit tough because their lives are on the line, but it comes from a place of, of empathy and, and again, compassion for what they're going through. I'm interested, um, I guess, there's obviously quite an academic path you need to take to get into dietetics. Yep. Um, you took the Biomed Backdoor, the very famous Biomed yep. Backdoor that yep. uh, many people have used over the years um, and used successfully in your case. Uh, from that perspective, uh, now teaching students of your own, yeah, how does that go? Like, Was teaching always something that you wanted to do? Yeah, it's interesting. I, it, it wasn't the thing that I thought I want to be a, a lecturer or a teacher. I mean, I love people and I love public speaking and I love educating. So it sort of makes sense. But I guess I ended up, so after dietetics, I worked as a clinical dietitian in a hospital for, for a little while. Mm-hmm probably about a year um and I at the time that I did dietetics I thought god I do not want to do research like it's just not for me like I'm too much of an extrovert and whatnot um but you want to do stuff I want to do stuff I want to work with people um but then I was out of it for like a year out of uni and I thought I think I'm just a nerd like I just really love science and I missed it um and an opportunity came up to do my PhD which which I did in Adelaide and that's when my career just turned you know it was probably the hard thing I've done but it opened up so many doors and, and one of those doors is obviously being able to work in a university um, and so I guess the teaching side of it you know comes with doing a PhD is that you're then obviously um, able to, to be a lecturer so able yeah. to be addressed on envelopes as Dr. Don yeah. oh, that's cool hey that's what I thought that's, I'll be honest when the opportunity came up I was like well I'm not going to do medicine and I really want to call myself a doctor so <laughs> We'll just do a PhD. <laughs> From a purely selfish perspective, I'm sure that's just amazing for you on an everyday basis. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I'm interested. I have a fairly complicated personal diet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't eat gluten. Okay. I can't eat dairy. Yeah, right. And I choose not to eat red meat or poultry. Okay. Yep. If I was, well, I guess I kind of am an athlete. We kind of play at our sport at Futsal Club. What would be the base kind of – how would you approach that? Yeah, I think you're a pain in the ass. I'm joking, I'm joking. No, no, you're, not, you're not the first person to say that. Not at all, not at all. So the foundations would be we got to get you in enough energy. As an athlete, you need regular and consistent protein. 30, 40 grams hip six times a day. Um, and we need some good carbohydrates coming in to support your training. So I would be talking to you about, well, where can we get those from in, in foods that you can eat? Okay, so if you can't have gluten, that obviously wipes out a fair bit of our carbohydrate sources, but they're a great gluten-free product or natural gluten-free carbohydrates, you know, quinoa and rice and sweet potato and those sort of foods. So we'd be talking about that over your day. Three things I already know that I probably don't eat enough of. 
I'm actually taking notes here on the run sheet yeah, as yeah, we go. Yeah, consult, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and the protein piece is difficult because obviously, um, you know, if you're not having red meat, you're not having poultry. Fish is an amazing source of protein, as is eggs, as is uh, as are legumes. And so we would be talking about where we can get those in. But you would likely need to supplement a few things such as iron. We keep an eye on iron levels and B12 and supplement if, if needed. Um, and we may, if you're, if you um, trained like elite athletes do, we would likely need um, a protein supplement that would, you know, be dairy free. So a plant based that we would add in there. Um, and with your dairy, it's actually not a problem because there's so many amazing dairy free items now, but we would need to get in like calcium fortified, you know, either whether it be almond milk, soy milk, oat milk, whatever it is. Um, How common are these types of uh, dietary requirements in the professional space? Pretty common. I must say, not not as common in, in the men as the women. Again, I don't mean to stereotype, but, you know, there's, um, if I think about um, the athletes I work with at the moment, we've got a handful of vegans in the women's team. We've got gluten-free, dairy-free. In the men's, we probably have one or two players with a dietary requirement, and it would be something just like a dairy-free, you know. I, it's interesting that I have not come across many celiacs that are male athletes or um, many vegans or vegetarians, in the, in the footy world anyway. Um, so it's definitely more the 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 women athletes that i work with that have the dietaries does it make you mentioned that there are in-house cooks or an in-house chef does it make life hard for them do they have to make kind of separate meals for the vegan separate meals for xyz yeah they do they definitely do so we always have like a vegan option um and you know again we've got some gluten-free one in the men's program as well so there's always a gluten-free pasta option and those sort of things um he probably again thinks it's a bit of a pain in the ass but he does it because he has to do it (laughs) at least i'm a self-aware pain in the ass in the diet space i'm very aware and i I, it's a situation where i kind of like walk into a room and before i've even met anyone i apologize in advance love that but I mean the amazing thing is that we have so many options available to us now um, that there's always a way to still meet requirements um, and, and most of the time you probably don't need to you know supplement too much and and you don't need to go to those convenient processed options either I think that's the thing with gluten um, free in particular is that there's so many options but a lot of them are so processed there, there are naturally gluten free items available that that are really good for you and they give you the, the nutrients that you need i want to touch on your life outside of work oh yeah and it sounds to me like you have almost no time off (laughs) and non-existent downtime Mm. i'm just totally casting aspersions here in your downtime how do you prioritize that and what do you like to do outside of work yeah so um it's, it's a yeah great question sometimes i also think you know there, there are months of the year when there is no downtime um especially when footy's on and you know your weekends are taken up with games and whatnot um but you know i've really tried i think what i've learned as many people have through covid is just actually what's important in life and I know that sounds so like cliche but you do just start to think like you bust your ass and then you know a pandemic can happen and it can all just 
go shit. So I just think you have to, I really try to, to prioritize different things outside of work. And, and for me, I'm a massive gym junkie, always have been. So we'll always prioritize my exercise because I think that's what, that's what I think clearly. Like I, I love running. I love going to the gym and that makes me and always has made me a better practitioner as well when I sort of feel happy that I've ticked my box so that's definitely a big one and weekends you know it's longer runs and being able to have the luxury to do that um I love socializing I love my friends and going out for good food good wine so that's always a part of a weekend Friday night Saturday night whenever footy's not on um yeah yeah (laughs) absolutely (laughs) yeah I always talk about alcohol I'm like oh don't drink it and then now I'm there like oh god three four wines later but that's okay <laughs> there's the the m word that i'm sure you throw in quite a lot moderation moderation absolutely moderation um but you know summer is my favorite time of year so you know i always try and just prioritize getting out in the sun you know a lot of beach days as much as we can here in in melbourne while it lasts but um but yeah that that tends to be what i you know sun exercise good food good wine When's the sweet spot for you in terms of the calendar year? Like, is it the gap between end of footy season and pre-season? But that's kind of now filled with AFLW. Yes, now filled with AFLW and that's a really busy time for Deacon. Yes. So there's there's really no... There's really no downtime. You have to just choose when you're going to take it because there's never, ever a good time. I think there's probably a little sweet spot like at the end of um, at the trimester for Deacon, which is October, and that tends to be when footy eight, like when the men's program is is um, on break. Of course, the women are, are back up and running, but I think you know what we have to do now is start the women and just say, I'm going to have to take a couple of weeks off somewhere sure. because I'll Otherwise, um, you won't you won't make it through. You so. won't make the out of me. <laughs> exactly right, <laughs> exactly right. So, and I'm just so lucky that you know I've I've worked with with and for great people who do um, understand what I do outside of the work I'm doing for them, and so um, are always pretty accommodating. If I say, "Hey, I'm going to take a week out here," as long as it's not on a major game or you know affecting something. For sure. Or yep. a final series. Or a final like series. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> How accessible do you make yourself outside of business hours, so to speak? Yeah, way too accessible. Does that mean you've got, you've got Gary Ablett on the phone saying, what am I supposed to cook for dinner? What am I, I, I doing? If did that, we'd probably be a good <laughs> um, Yeah, I sort of have this... Uh, and I always say to myself, don't say it. And I always say, contact me anytime. And as soon as it comes out my mouth, I'm like, why did I say that? Absolute self-stitch <laughs> up your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but no, when I work for, I mean, it's funny. Deacon, like academic world doesn't stop. You know, there's emails flying in at all hours. I must say it has got better over COVID times. I think there's been a real appreciation for people's, you know, personal and private lives and, and what they're going through. But, um, academic world is crazy that that gets all the time but with, with athletes I mean it's when if they need something it's just contact me you know it, clearly it's not going to be life or death but um, you know I'd rather them message me when it's on their minds and they get an answer from me whether it is like I'm at the supermarket and can I buy this product that says it has protein in it and I'm not sure if I can buy it or you know what should I what's this you know taking pictures of their dinner is this what I should be eating I mean that's all part of our job so yeah. Touching again on the academic side of things, you're a PhD, you're a doctor, you teach at Deakin. Is there any obligation um, to do 
a level of research throughout that process to, to maintain your position at the uni? Yes. So are you working on anything in particular that you're happy to talk about? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I guess to ask that first part with, with an academic, and it's funny because we you know when, when the um, trimesters are on break, you have students like email, you're like, have a nice holiday. I'm like, I could just get my computer to roll. There is no holiday. <laughs> yeah, good one. Yeah, good one. I know. So um, research takes up 40% of my workload at Deakin and then there's teaching that's um, like 30% and the rest is service. So we're required to, you you know, actually service the community, our industry, etc. Um, so 40%, which always gets blown out anyway because you don't really control research workload. Um, but what I'm working on at the moment, so I've got, a, I guess, a, a research um, profile in the uh, nutrition and sleep space. So how what we eat affects um, how we sleep in athletes. Who are working on that now for about the last four or five years and now I have a PhD student um, starting work, you know, his PhD in that area. Um, and we're specifically looking at a certain protein and the effect that that has on, on um, poor sleeping athletes. Is ultimately, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of takeaways from that research process, but is it ultimately trying to name foods that maybe shouldn't be eaten at certain times to avoid bad sleep is that sort of the ultimate takeaway yeah essentially we like my my goal with that with my research in that space is to essentially establish like uh, what are foods that we can eat that will improve sleep and what are foods that we should avoid and foods and or supplements um and you know it's a really growing area um and it's sort of a new new area so it's pretty interesting is it not always the most obvious things like i'm not going to go and like crush eight coffees before (laughs) trying to go to bed like that seems like quite obvious is it sort of things that it's maybe slightly dark horse items yeah absolutely i guess i'm thinking about our main nutrients so you know we know that athletes eat you know a lot of protein as an example um how does that and a lot of energy at night how is that actually affecting our sleep anecdotally we all say if i eat a heavy meal i don't sleep very well others say i sleep really well you know some can be very individual but there is some science that looks into certain amino acids and the effect that it has on sleep but the reality is that so many different foods can affect the ratio of that amino acid tryptophan in the blood that essentially puts us asleep with our melatonin levels and so we just we're finding different foods that affect that ratio that essentially can help with sleep so that's that's a big body of of work that i'm doing um I guess the other, and I've always been told, you know, you focus on one topic and then you build a research program from that. But I'm, I never do things the way that we probably should do them. So <laughs> exactly, that looks that looks shiny. Um, but no, my other main area, which again, you know, I'm passionate about, as I, as you can probably expect, is around um, energy availability, body image, disordered eating in, in sport. So doing some really exciting stuff with AFL and different codes um, in this space. We've done work with netball as well um yeah really looking at some of these issues so you know energy availability essentially is looking at you know does an athlete have enough energy to um sustain their exercise outside of daily living and and when they don't that's when we see the health implications so especially in females we know about all the hormonal changes the effects on menstruation the effects on bone health stress fractures and reactions and so you know we're really interested in how we actually quantify low energy availability in athletes um and then what we do about it and you know and expanding to education to coaches education to athletes that are in this space so that's my other research that yeah we've got some students studying in that space um as well which is exciting and is that 
in theory, years and years in the making? Like, is that going to, that's going to take, obviously, you don't, you don't know when you're going to finish a certain project. It's sort of ongoing. Yeah, it's ongoing. I mean, I guess the way it works, like, you know, if you've got an honours student working on a project, then it lasts a year. If it's a PhD student, it's three years. But the reality is that it builds on each other, you know. So, uh, as an example, my PhD student will do some work now, um, say, in the sleep space, and he might then find something or, or we think, oh, you know what, that's actually a really interesting question that's come from that let's let's start that project now and so another PhD student might come in and you start building a program of work where you're looking at nutrition and sleep but you've got a number of students and projects going looking at different elements of that that sort of contribute so it's ongoing and you know it's funny when you read research papers and the conclusion always is you need more research that's just what happens you know there's never a, a, a definite conclusion oh, a piece of <laughs> exactly right exactly right but that's what keeps it interesting i imagine know. it's also kind of cool to be able to learn research and engage in the academic space and then in theory apply some of the things that you're learning and finding out to your day jobs. Absolutely. That's why I love doing applied research. Like lab-based work is, you know, we need to do it to answer a question. But the reality is we can never replicate the the control that, that's needed in a lab. And that doesn't mean to say that we don't need those studies. We do to understand mechanisms. But I love going out into the field and doing applied research and really understanding does this work you know, in athletes when they're living their normal lives and then being able to apply that to what I do is, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. I want to talk a little bit about um, 2022 and looking into the future. Mm -hmm. Do we know what 2022 is going to look like for Dr. Dom Kondo? Is that there's obviously a few uh, things that you've got mapped out already with different footy seasons. Yeah. Uh, But what are you most looking forward to about... 2022 in theory i mean it's it's exciting i think there's some you know so the research projects are really taking off if the thing is you try not to get too excited because you just don't know what's going to happen with covid so our research has really been put on hold for, for a while which is which has been really unfortunate but hopefully we can get back to, to doing some of that so that's exciting um i think just starting with a new club um is really exciting like it's it's amazing it's like i had the best time at the cats they are an unbelievable club um but you know i think you always you feel like okay i've i've um developed the program here it is running really well you know everyone so well probably the, the, the new challenge and just a challenge of meeting new people has been really exciting so I'm I'm so excited about the Tigers and what this year brings um, for them uh, I think the difference you know because I guess footy and Deacon have always been a part of my work um, the difference is probably my Dr. Dom stuff that I really want to put some time into you know I think I've whether I've used it as a bit of an excuse or not but you always say I'm too busy I'm too busy and it's a thing that sort of drops behind because it's my passion but obviously I've got paid work I have to do jobs and responsibilities and so it's always just sort of been on the side but you know my consulting work that I do I want to I want to keep growing that and I have a real passion for getting um you know the 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 evidence-based messages out there in a way that's actually interesting to listen to and and I want to really work on that this year you know work on whether it be my website or or um getting you know a bit more media coverage of just getting the good messages out there that um yeah that I think aren't boring from a from a scientist but a more you know interesting um and and de- debunking some of the myths that are out there 
Describe Dr. Dom for me just in like a couple of sentences or less. What is it that you're aiming to do through your own personal consultancy? Are you trying to get your information out to as many different organizations and groups as possible? Is that basically so it's not just Richmond, it's not just yeah. uh, the boomers? Yep. It's yep. more people. Absolutely. I have a real passion for for helping people um, and I want to be able to do that on a larger scale. Um, but I have a real passion for making science sexy, really, and I just want it to be in, um, you know, in a way that people can understand and absorb. Um, and that's what I want Dr. Dom to be is putting out the good information. You know, I do a lot of one-on-one stuff under my consulting brand too, which, which I love. Again, a lot in the eating disorder space. Um, um, and I want to continue some of that, but I also really want to get the messages out there on, on a larger scale. You know, the, the you know social media industry and whatnot is so flooded and so flooded by people that, that we shouldn't be flooded by. And so, um, you know, f- sort of finding a way to, to break through that and, um, you know, n- not so much social media, but finding other avenues to, to really get the right messages out there. So that's a watch this space kind of thing. Look, yeah. out, for, look out for Dr. Yeah, Dom. Yeah, a bit of a new passion. Yeah. I mean, even chatting to you for 30 40 minutes i can tell you've got a lot to say and you say it in a way that's at least from my perspective as a nutrition novice really accessible and very easy to understand yeah awesome that that's what i want so i reckon there might even be a podcast in it <laughs> do you know well this is the thing i mean maybe i'm learning here I'm a great host so feel, feel free to borrow our microphones anytime <laughs> I remember that. Anthony's got a spare ninth day in his week, so I'm sure he'd be also more than happy to help you with that. Take care for that one. Dr. Dom Kondo, thanks so much for joining our conversations. It's been really fun to chat to you. And yeah, I look forward to seeing what you get up to in the future. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been awesome. Stay up to date with everything our conversations via our social media platforms at rsport double underscore on the gram or via the website www.r-sportswear.com.